After this, Jesus appeared once more to his disciples at Lake Tiberias. This is how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, the one from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples of Jesus were all together. Simon Peter said to the others, I'm going fishing. We will come with you, they told him. So they went out in a boat, but all that night they did not catch a thing. As the sun was rising, Jesus stood at the water's edge. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Young men, haven't you caught anything? Not a thing! Throw your net out on the right side of the boat, and you will catch some. So they threw the net out. whom Jesus loved said to Peter it is the Lord when Peter heard that it was the Lord he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken his clothes off and jumped into the water the other disciples came to shore in the boat pulling the net full of fish they were not very far from land about a hundred yards away when they stepped ashore they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net ashore full of big fish, 153 in all. Even though there were so many, still the net did not tear. Come. And eat. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. So Jesus went over, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This then was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from death. Well, good morning. Thanks, worship team. Great songs for us to sing. It's almost as if you knew what the theme of the message was going to be about perfect songs for us to to focus on this truth this morning. And great singing, church. Uh, It's always great when you're here in the front and you just hear the congregation singing. And uh, I always say to you, I want us to be known as a singing church. And so we're going to have some more opportunity to do that later, and I I hope you'll, uh, you'll join in with, uh, with all of its gusto. Well, here we are. After 25 messages, if you can believe it, on the first 20 chapters of the Gospel of John, we arrive at the 21st chapter and the last message in our series, Taking Jesus Seriously. A series that actually started mid-September of last year 
and apart from a break at Christmas, wraps up today in mid-April. As a student, usually sitting under the teaching of others, and as a teacher myself when I've had opportunity, I have enjoyed this journey through the life of Jesus immensely, and I hope you have too. After Pastor Ken returned from his sabbatical in February, we sat down and looked at the speaking schedule for the rest of the series, and I remember then asking if I could speak on chapter 21. I've actually never spoke on this passage before, but it has clearly one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. I can't remember then if we had already booked our vacation. Um, We had uh, gone away during spring break and then over the Easter weekend to visit Tina's dad in Florida. That was a little strange. Not, not visiting Tina's dad, don't get me wrong, just being away over Easter after um, I was thinking about it in almost 25 years of ministry now. It was, I think, the first Easter that I was actually away from the local church that I was serving. And, uh, and so it was a little bit different. But being away and then coming back and then speaking right away... I I knew that I'd only have just a few days to prepare for this message. So uh, I did try to do some work before we left. I did a little bit of study while we were away. But the bulk of it has taken place in these last few days. And I have to tell you that on a few occasions in these last few days, I've been going, what was I thinking? Not that it was such a quick turnaround. I mean, three days is, is pretty good. But it's Master's Weekend. I mean, if you're a fan of golf, you know what I'm talking about. It's been so hard to, uh, to focus and, and not somehow follow or think about what was going on down there in Augusta, Georgia. Anyways, this isn't about golf, although I'm going to talk about golf a little bit later. John's gospel, as we have seen, has been a call to know and believe in the person of Jesus Christ so that in believing, we may have his life and power in our lives. And John's purpose statement for writing this book is found in the last verse, verse 31 of John chapter 20. But these, referring to verse uh, 30, a record of the signs and the miracles that Jesus did, he says, are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. In other words, eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And so the whole point in us studying the Gospel of John was to clearly present Jesus and the truth that he is in fact the way, the truth, and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him. We just remembered the historic events of Jesus' death and resurrection and his post-resurrection appearances to his disciples and to Mary and to many others should be enough evidence for those of you who may be sitting on the fence to convince you to say yes to Jesus and to put your faith and trust in him. This is about the gospel, friends. Jesus came, he lived, he died, and he rose again so that we might have eternal life through nothing of our own but simply by faith and a gift of grace from Jesus Christ. And John chapter 21 is an interesting chapter in that it, it almost appears as a little bit of an add-on, a, uh, like an epilogue, as it were, to the, the full 
first 20 chapters, because the last verses of chapter 20 that I've already referred to would seem to kind of be a fitting conclusion. He kind of just stated his purpose, and you think that it's almost wrapped up, but it's almost as if John kind of thought to himself, you know, remembered these incredible events that we just witnessed, and then said, you know, I've got to include this too. Kind of like a, almost like a PS on a, on a, on a letter. John 21 is the record of the third appearance of Jesus after the resurrection that John records. The first appearance was on Easter Sunday when he appeared to Mary and his disciples. And then a week later, he appeared uh, to the disciples again, this time for the benefit of Thomas. And now, perhaps another week has passed, he appears again on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you're following along in your Bibles in John chapter 21, some of your translations may say the Sea of Tiberias, but this was the same body of water that they they had these two names for. And the disciples had since left Jerusalem after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and they had now returned to Galilee. Now, I have to say in this chapter, there's so much good stuff. And I didn't want to leave anything out, and so I want us to walk through this whole passage. But I'm going to do it around five words, an outline that I've just kind of organized my thoughts around, and then a corresponding truth with each one, okay? Uh, Are you ready? I'm going to give you the five words, and if you want to jot them down or just, at least you'll know when this message is almost done, um, and uh, you can follow along. Okay, so the first word is abundance, and the second word is breakfast, and the third word is comeback, and the fourth word is destiny, and the fifth word is ending. You see what I, I did there? I hope that's easy for you to remember. I know I'm kind of clever that way. Uh, um, it, I'm, it's just, sorry, it's my mind, I think, in a very linear, linear way. People who know me um, know that I organize my socks and things like that. But anyways, um, these are the first, these are the five words, all right? Now, we're going to not spend equal time on each, which will come as a relief to you after I spend... There we are again, maybe. We'll see if it stays on this time. Anyways, abundance. This is verses 1 through 11. And this is the part of chapter 21 that we then saw in the video this morning. So seven disciples, including Peter and John, are trying to figure out, now what? Before Jesus had called them to follow him, promising to make them fishers of men, James and John, these two brothers, were actually fishing partners with Peter. But now after following Jesus for two or three years, their lives, and specifically their life purpose now, was was uncertain. But if you don't know what to do, you typically return to what you do know. After all, life must go on. So Peter announces to the other disciples that he's going to go fishing, and all the others agree to go with him. And so they go out in the boat, they fish all night, they catch nothing, right? Nada, zilch, nothing. And they went out at night because that was the preferred time of day for fishing. And so fish that were caught during the night could then be sold at the market fresh in the morning. Fish and bread were mainstay meals of, uh, in, in ancient times. Remember Jesus feeding the 5,000 plus. What did he feed them with? Fish and bread. And you see this uh, time and time again. And so as the sun was beginning to rise, Jesus shows up on the beach. But since the boat was still about 100 yards from shore, the disciples, they didn't know who he was. They couldn't tell who he was. And for all they knew, he was just a curious stranger. 
catch anything? It's a common question fishermen get asked, right? What have you been doing? I've been fishing. Did you catch anything? That's the follow-up question typically. No. (laughs) Well, why don't you try the other side of the boat? Which is kind of interesting because these were experienced fishermen. And sure, they probably hadn't fished for a couple of years, but they knew what they were doing. I mean, this was like riding a bike to them. They would go out and, and, and just be able to pick up where they'd left off. And, and there's un, very clear in terms of how they, they fished. And, and throwing the fish the net just kind of haphazardly and randomly on the other side of the boat was really, for all intents and purposes, going to be just completely futile. Uh, but the net that they would have thrown, and you saw it a little bit in the picture, if you saw the detail in that, in that video, it was kind of like a big parachute, and, and it would have weights, either lead or rock, on the, around the edges. And, and when it was tossed into the water, the net would sink down around the unsuspecting fish. And then when it was pulled up, those rocks would come together and kind of close off the net, and they'd be able to, to uh, trap the fish in the net and pull them out. Now, now we went, uh, as I said, uh, during spring break to Florida. And there were a couple of mornings where Tina and I would get up early and we'd grab a Starbucks and we'd head to the beach for an early morning walk. You know, very romantic, kind of the... Well, actually, it was Tina's idea. It wasn't really mine, but I went along. And one morning, there were actually fishermen just off the shore using this exact technique. I thought, well, how cool is that? But in this case, the water was shallow and it was clear. And one of the guys was actually in the water and he was walking with this net um, over his shoulder. And since the water was clear and, and, and shallow, he could actually see what he was trying to catch. And, and there was another guy in the water and he would kind of walk and they were like almost like herding the fish towards where the guy with the net was. And, uh, and he would just fling this net out in front of him and it would land in the water and it would go down and he'd just walk over and carefully pull it up and take it over to the boat and, and empty the net. Now, I was fascinated, of course, by this and, and was kind of curious, so I just kind of yelled out, what are you catching? I, I thought that maybe it would be something neat and exotic, maybe the catch of the day, maybe it was a restaurant. We would check it out later saying, man, this was just caught. We watched them catch it. Bait fish. <laughs> That wasn't very exciting, kind of whatever, and I was a little disappointed, and so I was really tempted to just say, well, why don't you try the other side of the boats and just kind of walk off? I don't know about you, but if I'm a professional fisherman, I, I wouldn't respond kindly to some guy standing on the shore telling me to try the other side of the boat. If I haven't caught anything on this side of the boat, why would I ever catch anything on this other side of the boat. But the disciples did as they were told. And perhaps it reveals some of their desperation. You know, really, other side, huh? Really? Okay, what do we got to lose? We haven't caught anything on this side. But maybe part of their training with Jesus was to understand what it meant to follow him in obedience. And so they did, as this stranger had told them to do. And they catch this miraculous haul of fish. They, they, they couldn't even load the net into the boat because there were so many fish. And in that moment, and you saw it in the, in the video, John is like, wow, like, who is this guy? 
And John then actually recognizes that it's Jesus. And so he tells Peter, who immediately jumps into the water and heads towards shore. I mean, again, so unlike Peter, right? Everything that we know about him is very impulsive, and he responds quickly. And the others follow with the boat and dragging the net full of fish through the water. And when they get there, they discover that Jesus is already cooking fish over a charcoal fire. There's not much read about this, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it was just interesting to me. I thought, where did Jesus get the fish for, from? Was that just another miracle in this whole story? And I think it was. And Jesus then tells them to bring the fish that they had just caught. And so Peter then goes back and he drags the net to shore. And they discover that there were 153 large fish. And in spite of these 153 fish in the net, the net never tore. Now, I have to tell you, that if you want some interesting reading, try to read a little bit about the significance of the 153 fish. There is incredible speculation about the significance of this number. And numerous theories about the symbolism of the number have been put forward. And I wish I really had some time to run through them, through them some with you, because it really is fascinating. But can I just jump ahead and tell you to what I think the 153 fish mean? You ready for this? It means they counted. Okay? They counted. Come on! I mean, they were fishermen. They knew exactly how the conversation would go, right? How did fishing go today? Oh, absolutely incredible. Miraculous, really. We caught the biggest haul of fish ever. Really? How many? Wow. Not sure. Just there were lots, okay? But the nets didn't even tear. Sure. We believe you. But if they say we caught 153 large fish, this fact just adds a little more credibility to their fishing story. But there is something that this huge haul of fish represents. And in ancient times in Judaism, this kind of abundance demonstrated God's favor and blessing. And not only was this huge catch of fish a blessing, the fact that he provides for them grilled fish and bread demonstrates again that he is their provider. And so here's the truth that I want to associate with the word abundance. Jesus can, in fact, he wants to make us productive. We don't do this on our own. We do this with his help, following his guidance. We simply obey, and he then is the provider. Now, there is, of course, symbolism here in the catching of fish, because it really is a metaphor for the purpose of the church. Every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and now here in John, ends with the instruction uh, as to the work that Jesus' followers must now be involved in, kind of post-Easter, post-resurrection. And so simply put, the church must continue to throw the net out so that more and more people can be introduced to the person and work of Jesus. And the church that only focuses on itself, that is only interested in its own comfort, and it kind of adopts the attitude, kind of like, us four, no more, shut the door, that church will eventually die. And sadly, there are churches like that. 
I'm so thrilled that God has called TCC to be a community-impacting church. And we do it because we love Jesus, and Jesus loves this community, and Jesus loves the people in this community, and Jesus wants to have a relationship with more and more people. And the story of TCC, as you go through the history of it, on numerous occasions, I'm not going to go into all the detail, but it's very much like we're fishing on this side of the boat. And Jesus comes along and says, why don't you try over here? And so we do. And there's this big catch of fish. And so we're blessed with the number of children that come to TCC each week. And as you probably know, that has prompted us to look at launching a second service. It's just another net. And then, as we're about to throw this net on this side, Jesus comes along and says, Hey, how about the other side of the parking lot? There's a building there with a daycare that will maybe meet your needs for now. You know, two services may very well be in our future, but we also have a passion for church planting. Because you know what? The net needs to be thrown into the communities on the other side of the Anthony Hende as well. Do you see what Jesus wants? He wants to make us productive and bless us with abundance. And our role as the people of God is simply to follow and obey him. It was Jesus who gave this instruction to his disciples at the very outset of their calling. Follow me. And what? Do you remember this? And I will make you what? Fishers of Men, not just a first century calling for Jesus' disciples, but a calling for all disciples. Now, there is another calling. Come and have breakfast. This is verses 12 and 14, because in verse 12, Jesus invites them to come and have some breakfast. And by this time, all seven disciples knew that it was Jesus, but there was some murmuring among them. They were a little bit concerned about actually asking him to kind of reveal his identity, but they knew. They knew that it was Jesus. And Jesus serves them breakfast of bread and fish. And in verse 14, John comments that this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Now, I'm not a fisherman, I don't really enjoy doing something for hours and then not actually doing anything, you know, like catching fish. And when we lived in Ontario, we had lots of wonderful rivers and lakes, and we had several guys in the church there that I served that were very avid fishermen, and they'd ask me to go along. And and I'd go along not so much to fish, but just to hang out. And on one occasion, I had an opportunity to go with a group of pastors to actually a fishing camp in, uh, in northern Quebec. And most people would, would, would fly into this lake. Um, it was known for its fishing. They would come from all over North America. We drove in with uh, four-by-fours. And now, now, I don't know if you know this, but the point of going to a fishing camp is to fish. And, and, and so we, we paired up and we went out. And the guide told us that our goal was that we had to catch lunch which was a little bit concerning to me because I just don't catch very many fish. But between the ten of us, we did, and eventually um, we caught enough fish. I think it was like two in the afternoon or something. I guess we should have been out really early in the morning. It might have been a little bit better. But I will never, ever forget that lunch. 
And, and we were on the other side of the lake. Our guide took the fish that we had caught and, 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 and he filleted them right there. He used lake water to rinse them off. He had a Ziploc bag, bag full of this most unbelievable batter. And he threw the wet fish in there and shook them around and put them on these frying pans that were over an open fire. And they had another frying pan that was full of like onions and butter. And it was unbelievable. I, I mean, I don't know that I've ever had a meal like that, even in a restaurant. It's almost like I can still, still taste it today. I suspect that the disciples never forgot that breakfast meal either. Not because of how tasty the fish was, but because it was Jesus, the resurrected Lord that shared it with them. And here's the truth that I want to associate with the word breakfast. Jesus wants to be with us. He wants to be with us. Now, now that may seem really obvious, but the truth is that some people have a hard time accepting that Jesus loves them, that he, that he actually likes them, and that he wants to be with them. They don't think they're worthy. They, they think they've made way too many weak, they, they have way too many weaknesses and that they've made way too many mistakes. And they simply find it hard to reach out and ask for help. Friends, let the simplicity of this truth sink in. Jesus wants to be with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And and what we see in this passage is that a group of fishermen listened to his advice, did what he asked them to do, and followed him in obedience. Tomorrow morning when you when you sit down for breakfast, can you just rehearse this truth? Jesus wants to be with me. Jesus wants to be with me. Spend some time with him. Acknowledge his presence in your life. And you don't need to wait for a meal, but, but that we would just be a people who are consciously aware of Christ's presence with us through the power of his Spirit we know that Jesus is with us. And maybe you don't think he wants to spend any time with you because you've made some terrible decisions in the past, you've failed him, and sin has gotten the better of you. And so I hope this next word erases any doubts that you have because the next word is come back. In verse 15, Jesus starts a conversation with Peter. It's it's not a casual conversation, Jesus uses a very formal address. He says, Simon, son of John. Not not the John that wrote the gospel, but Simon's dad was also named John. And Simon was actually his real name. But Jesus had earlier changed it to Peter, meaning rock. And all three times that Jesus now asks this question, he starts by using this full and formal form of address. You know, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, right? You, you're, you're upset with your child, and you use first, middle, and last name because you want to get their attention. Simon, son of John. You got my attention, Lord. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? 
What Jesus was actually referring to here, though, is somewhat uncertain. And so the question is, what or maybe who were these? What's he referring to? More than these fish here that you caught? More, more than these boats? More than the, the, the fishing? You know, more than your career? Or, or is it more than these others love me? Kind of comparing their love. If you think back to how Peter often jumped in and said, Oh, I'll die for you, Jesus. I'll do this for you, Jesus. I love you more than these. He often said that. And so it's almost like Jesus is taking a back of that and saying, Well, do you actually love me more than these other guys do? Or maybe he was saying, More than you love these men, the other disciples that were there with them. I mean, this was a tight knit group. They cared for each other, they loved each other. And, and so he was saying, like, do you love me more than you love all these other relationships? I think it's fair to say that we don't really know. And the reality is, is that all are actually important. You see, Peter had returned to fishing and, uh, with his friends. And perhaps Jesus was calling him now to make a choice. You know, like, do you love me more than your career or are you willing to be my disciple? What's it going to be, Peter? But remember that it was Peter who boldly declared, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And of course, the irony of that statement in it is, is right after Jesus, uh, Peter made that bold declaration, he goes out and denies Jesus three times. And so Jesus takes him back to that moment. Because this is a comeback for Peter. It's a time of restoration. And Jesus knows full well that that Peter is still a man of faith and commitment, even though he sinned and fell hard. And Jesus, even asking Peter to bring the fish to shore, was his first step in his restoration. He did that earlier, just before the breakfast part. And now through this incredible exchange of questions and answers, the restoration is made complete. And three times, Jesus asks Peter to reaffirm his love for him. And three times, Jesus commissions him to take care of his flock. There's another metaphor that he was using, the flock being his church. I think that's why I love this passage. Because this is really about a big-time comeback. After what Peter had done with the denial, this was now a second chance, a fresh start. And Jesus is all about comebacks and second chances and fresh starts. Now, it's not without some hurt and grief, though. When Jesus asked Peter the third time, now, do you love me? It cuts to Peter's heart because it was a clear reminder of the fact that Peter had denied Jesus the three times. And when that happened... In the first place, Peter was grieved by his sin because he had denied Jesus the third time. And when he did that, Jesus looked right at him, the scripture says. And Peter just couldn't take it anymore because he knew exactly what he had done. And the scripture says that he ran outside and wept bitterly. That was an appropriate response to his sin. I used to golf fairly often. And then we had children. 
And I've never been very good, but on our vacation, I took my clubs along because I knew it was something that would be fun to do. I, and, and when we were out, I remembered exactly how much I enjoyed the game of golf. And it's really fun now because it's something I get to enjoy with Lucas. And the thing that I really like about golf is that really each shot is a chance for redemption. I mean, no matter how bad the previous shot was, the next one can be better. And I always say I try never to get mad when I'm golfing because I'm just not good enough to actually warrant getting mad at a bad shot. But each hole is a new chance, a do-over. And unlike other sports, like hockey, you get a fresh start in the middle of the game. I mean, in hockey, once the season is off the rails, and those of us long-suffering Oilers fans knew this in about October of last year, you just kind of have to suffer through the rest of it. And when it's finally over, I mean, last night's game was a complete indication of their season, wasn't it? Did anybody follow that? I didn't watch it. I just looked at it and went, typical, leading, 5-4, lose, 6-5. I mean, really. But when it's finally over, there's sort of a sense of relief and you can push the reset button, have the summer off, look forward to next year. And the year after that or the year after that, whatever the case may be. But not golf. Each shot, each hole, each round is a chance for a fresh start. This is a picture of grace. We sin, we acknowledge it, we're forgiven, we're restored, and like Peter, we are commissioned to serve Jesus. The truth that I associate with this word comeback is simply this. He wants us to show our love. Do you love me, he asked Peter. Do you love me, he asks us. Then show it. Care for others. Love them. Teach them. You see, in God's economy, there are second and third and fourth and however many chances you need. But there is the expectation that we will acknowledge our sin, repent from it, and love and serve Jesus by loving and serving others. Can we review? Abundance, breakfast, comeback, two more, and I promise they're short. Destiny. Verse 18 is an interesting verse. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you like. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Huh? I mean, that's an odd verse to find here, isn't it? But there's this contrast that Jesus is making kind of between youth and old age. And maybe we all probably know a little bit about this. I mean, youth tends to be marked by freedom. You were were able to do as you liked. And then old age reveals certain limitations. You become dependent on others and things become more difficult, right? Like, I mean... I graduated to a large print Bible recently. I mean, those things happen, you know? I even have to sometimes sit down to put on my socks. It's just really awkward. And someday somebody will have to put my socks on for me. But here's the point. Through one of John's typical kind of double meanings, Jesus in this verse is actually prophesying about Peter's destiny, about his future. The phrase you will stretch out your hands. 
is a clear image of crucifixion. And there's a certain, or an uncertain tradition, I should say, that Peter was actually martyred and that he was crucified upside down because he refused to die the same kind of death as his Lord. And so when Jesus says to Peter in verse 19, follow me, there's a powerful new meaning here. Peter will follow Jesus to the cross. And Jesus knew Peter's destiny, and he knew about John's destiny as well. Because when Peter says, well, if that's going to happen, what about him? And Jesus essentially says, don't worry about others. Don't worry about others. And here's the truth. He knows our days. He knows our days. Peter had earlier said about Jesus, you know everything. And that is so true. God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And the problem is, is too often we kind of get into comparison mode, right? Why is he so handsome? Why is she so smart? How, how did he, why, you know, why did he get that job? I would be more qualified for that job. How did he ever end up with such a beautiful wife? That's what often get asked of me. But why am I suffering? Uh, you know, why am I suffering, right? Why me? Why me? And everything seems to be going so well for that person. And you know this, friend, right? The list of comparisons is endless. But it's so unhelpful and even harmful. And Jesus basically tells Peter, hey, listen, John is none of your business. That's mine. But you, Peter, have one responsibility. Follow me. And he's emphatic about it. Can we simply rest and trust in God that he knows our days? He's not surprised about what's going to happen to you tomorrow. He's not. He's not kind of unaware. Just trust that he knows your days and he cares for you. Last one, ending. Right? John wraps up his gospel perhaps for the second time now, as I said earlier. He refers to himself indirectly and he says this, verse 24. This disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here, and we know that his account of these things is accurate. And so there is an affirmation here that what John wrote is true. It's a historical record of what actually happened, given by a man who had seen it and witnessed it firsthand. And I love, man, excuse me, how he ends the book, verse 25, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Isn't that a great image? John intentionally exaggerates. He uses hyperbole to make this point, and this is the truth for this ending. Jesus is true. Jesus is real. And the question that each of us needs to answer then is simply this. What will we do with Jesus? Through this entire series, we have kept coming back to that. How do you respond to Jesus? If you have not yet said yes to Jesus, now's the time. And if you have said yes to Jesus, then follow him. Because ultimately, this passage in John 21, and really the whole gospel is this. It's about being a disciple of Jesus obediently following him and accepting his love and grace when we fail because he is the God of fresh starts. To drive this point home, we're going to just watch this video and then we're going to sing a song together.
God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat, and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice, and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, no, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there, and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net, and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up, and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster clucking. I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it. All right. Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, Yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is. It is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait. Yeah. The angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said go- what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No. What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Pete.